We are back, and we need to talk a little bit about science, I think, in our third and final segment today. We enjoyed very much speaking with Dr. Phil Plate about his website, badastronomy.com, on last week's show. If you haven't done so yet, please do yourself a favor and go check out those top 10 astronomy photos of 2006. We're sure that uh, Phil Plate would enjoy the article in the December 2nd issue of, of New Scientist magazine, an interview with... University of Central Florida's physics instructor Marcus Chown from the University of Central Florida about how Hollywood doesn't seem to get its physics right. To get students interested in the subject of physics, they decide to take some Hollywood movies and do some what-ifs and some calculations to see whether things would pan out the way Hollywood portrayed them. The magazine asked for an example. And Dr. Chown said, one of the films we use is Armageddon, one of the worst films ever made. An asteroid's on a collision course with the Earth, and NASA sends Bruce Willis to the rescue. He drills a hole in the asteroid and plants a nuclear bomb. Students then work out whether the whole scenario is realistic based on data presented in the movie. They estimate the asteroid's mass, then use a reasonable assumption about the size of the explosion. They estimate the deflections. Then, using a reasonable assumption about the size of the explosion, they estimate the deflection speed of the fragments. After doing the calculations, they discovered that what Bruce Willis would accomplish was to create two asteroid fragments that would hit the Earth about two city blocks apart. Chow noted one example where they got it right was in 2001, A Space Odyssey. In the movie, they portray a space station about 100 meters across uh, with a spin rate that, when you do the math, gives you an artificial gravity which turns out to be pretty close to 1G or the gravity you and I are experiencing right now. Chow noted that Stanley Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke were careful to get things absolutely right, but in a sentence that disturbs me greatly, he added, Unfortunately, students find the film impossible to watch because of its lack of dialogue. 2001, A Space Odyssey, impossible to watch? But at any rate, they closed by asking, what's the best and worst movies as far as physics was concerned? Chow noted that Contact, based on the Carl Sagan book and starring Jodie Foster, is pretty good. It gets all sorts of stuff spot on, he said, including the physics of wormholes. On the other hand, the worst film was The Core, in which a U.S. military project stops the outer core of the Earth rotating. It has to be restarted with nuclear bombs. Said Chow, there isn't a minute in that film where the writers haven't rewritten the laws of physics. And we think we would do well to quote from an article in New Scientist, their December 16th issue, about something that was uh, that's probably not on any of our radar screens, but should be. Article by Bijal Traviti, titled The Hard Smell, suggests that next time you're out shopping, you suddenly find yourself overcome by the urge to splurge, stop and sniff the air. Why is that? Well, let's read from the article. The air in Samsung's flagship electronic store on the Upper West Side of Manhattan smells like honeydew melon. 
It's barely perceptible, but together with the soft, constantly morphing light scheme, the scent gives the store a blissfully relaxed, tropical feel. The fragrance you sniff is the company's signature scent, and it's being pumped out from hidden devices in the ceiling. This is not exactly new technology. I remember being in medical school and being given a tour of Disneyland by a friend who had worked there for years. We went into the bakery, and she said, notice how good it smells in here? I said, yeah. She goes, well, they don't bake anything on the premises. But the lovely vanilla smell that flooded your nose when you entered the room just made you want to buy some baked goods. Said Trivetti's article, you can expect more aromantic encounters as you browse. Scent, marketers say, is the final frontier in sensory branding. Of all our five senses, smell is thought to be the most closely linked to emotion because the brain's olfactory bulb, which detects odors, fast-tracks signals to the limbic system, which links emotions to memories. Retailers hope that making this direct link to our emotions may seduce us into choosing their products over a competitor's. Turns out there's about 20 companies out there that uh, specialize in marketing scents. And they're kind of hush-hush about it. Note of the article, one reason companies keep it secret is they want the association between scent and brand to form almost subconsciously. Many refuse to acknowledge that their stores are scented for fear of destroying the effect. Many of these retailers are fearful they'll be accused of subliminal marketing. So they don't want to admit they're manipulating the store environment to trigger an almost Pavlovian response in customers. Does that seem far-fetched? Well, we think the companies aren't stupid, and if studies showed that this didn't work, they sure as hell wouldn't be shelling out dough to make their showrooms smell nice. The article closed with, As more and more stores and hotels use ambient scents, remember that their goal is not just to make your experience more pleasant. They want to imprint a positive memory, influence your future feelings about particular brands, and ultimately forge an emotional link to you. And more importantly, your wallet. Let's talk a bit about uh, some other technologies out there. The New York Times reported last month that the amount of unsolicited junk email flooding inboxes has doubled from 2005. Marketers have developed new methods for bypassing spam filters. With image spam, words in the advertising are part of a picture, so telltale phrases such as penis enlargement are not detected. We reported last spring about an, uh, apparently a, a foreign Coast Guard agency that was systematically searching for documents that had shipping schedules and forwarding them to an email address in China. Well, the New York Times was reporting last week in an article by John Markoff that in their persistent quest to breach the Internet's defenses, the bad guys are honing their weapons and increasing their firepower. With growing sophistication, they're taking advantage of programs that secretly install themselves on thousands or even millions of personal computers, band these computers together into an unwitting army of zombies, then use the collective power of the dragooned network to commit internet crime. These systems called botnets are being blamed for the huge spike in spam that bedeviled the internet in recent months. Security researchers have been concerned about botnets for some time because they automate and amplify the effects of viruses and other malicious programs. 
According to the annual intelligence report of Message Labs, a New York-based computer security firm, more than 80% of all spam now originates from botnets. And in November, a single Internet service provider generated more than 1 billion spam e-messages in a 24-hour period. That indicated that machines of these service providers' customers had been woven into a giant network with a single control point using them to pump out spam. In the weeks to come, we'll try and have some specific recommendations uh, so that you don't wind up like Jerry Winkler, mentioned in the New York Times article, a sales representative in Denver, that said she turned off the network security software provided by her internet service provider because it slowed performance to a crawl on her PC, which was running Windows 98. A few months back, four sheriff's deputies pounded on her apartment door to confiscate the PC, which they said was being used to order goods from Sears with a stolen credit card. The computer, it turned out, had been commandeered by an intruder who was using it remotely. And from the It's About Time file, if you've ever printed a document, only to find that the first page was blank or had like one line on it, and who hasn't done this, you will no doubt be relieved to note that software has now been designed to reduce the number of unnecessary pages printed which should hopefully make offices a little less paper-hungry, as well as your home office. The software was developed by Green Print Technologies of Portland, Oregon. It deletes blank pages or those containing only an advertisement, web address, or legal blurb. And for our final item of the program from the miscellaneous file, we would note that in Cleveland, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame last week inducted Van Halen. Yes, the good people in Cleveland decided to admit Patti Smith, R.E.M., and Van Halen to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Personally, we have a hard time even saying the name Van Halen without laughing. We find it pretty hard to dislike the guitar licks of Eddie Van Halen. And in terms of lead vocalists uh, Sammy Hagar, or more importantly, David Lee Roth, well... It makes us nostalgic for the 90s. An era when Al Gore's wife, Tipper, was goading congressional committees into investigating things like rock lyrics and the video, Hot for Teacher. They were a pretty entertaining band, but they were equally famous for their off-stage antics, including the (laughs) celebrated Riders inserted in their contracts that the M&Ms provided backstage had to have all of the brown ones removed. This inspired, among other things, that famous scene in This Is Spinal Tap. <laughs> you know the scene where Nigel, the guitarist, is talking to the band's manager, explaining how he, he just can't work out how to take the small square bread and mix it with the oversized round lunch meat. Anyway... We think you've just got to laugh thinking of this particular video, provided your name's not Tipper Gore. And again, this makes us a bit nostalgic for an era when Van Halen videos were considered among America's foremost problems. And we are out of time. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett. Our thanks today to author George Pendle, 
We think Strange Angel, the otherworldly life of rocket scientist John Whiteside Parsons, is one heck of a good read. You might want to check it out. On next week's program, we're going to have a talk with Benjamin Jonas Keeling. He's been producing Insight for Jeffrey Callison and, on occasion, yours truly, over at KXJZ for the past couple years, but he's taking a job in Washington, D.C., working for The Voice of America in an effort to bring uncensored news to the people of Iran. It's bound to be interesting, so tune in next week at the same time. As always, we encourage your emails. Please send them to info at radioparallax.com. Now, stay tuned for Todd.